Welcome to Meet Your Funeral Celebrant. My name is Tony Piper, and in each episode of this podcast, I'll be talking with a funeral celebrant. As well as getting to know them and exploring their approach to funerals, each guest will also share some useful tips. I hope this helps you find the right celebrant for you so you can create a good send-off. So let's begin. This episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Terry Shanks. Terry is a funeral celebrant based in Worthing on the south coast of England. As well as her work as a celebrant, she also trains funeral celebrants for the Fellowship of Professional Celebrants. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Tony. Lovely to be here and to talk to you. Wonderful. Now, look, why don't you um, fill in some of the gaps and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, as you've already mentioned, I live in Worthing in West Sussex. I live down here. This is my hometown where I'm born and bred. And I live down here with my two children. Um, I have Georgia, who is 19 now, and Cameron, who is five. Oh, it's a nice part of the world to live in. It's a lovely part of the world to live in. I always think we have the best of both. We have the South Downs, the sea. It's lovely. Lovely place to live. What a dream. Now, look, Terry, how did you end up becoming a funeral celebrant? It's an unusual profession, isn't it? It is an unusual profession. And to be honest, it was a sort of a a series of lots of things which would probably take me all day to to explain. But I used to work as, I suppose, an an amateur singer, a classical singer. But I was always asked to sing at a lot of funerals, both in churches and uh, crematoriums. And I sat through a lot of funerals where, to be honest with you, you could have been at anybody's funeral because it was very much one size fits all. And I felt the people were there, but not necessarily present and not healed and not touched and not moved. Mm. And for me, that was really important. And it was actually sort of after several years of of doing this that I I met actually with a humanist celebrant at a wedding and just got into discussions with her. And I thought, wow, I could actually do this as a profession. But it took some further investigation for me. I was actually raised as a Roman Catholic. And whilst I don't attend church and, to be honest, haven't done for many years, I would still class myself as a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. And that sort of led me into the path of becoming an independent celebrant where I knew I could offer funerals for people that were very personalized very meaningful but didn't completely eradicate religion or spirituality that actually you know we we could have a blending of both and that for me was very important as I know it is for a lot of people there are many many people out there who don't necessarily have an affiliation with any organized religion but also wouldn't class themselves as atheist either and therefore like to have you know a light element of religion or spirituality included at a time of a funeral which obviously is hugely important sure yes this big group of um, people who um, consider themselves spiritual but not religious um, yeah absolutely yeah it's very important what do you love most about the job Oh, do you know, I, I love all of it. I truly, I truly do. Um, people always comment about how much passion that I have for my work. And I think that's true. I love the families that I work with. I feel that it's an honour that people welcome me and take me into their homes and their hearts at such a difficult time. And I love spending time with all the families, learning about their loved one's life. 
And to be honest, I'm, I'm fascinated by people's life stories and personal memories. You, know, you hear personal stories of people who served in the war or were evacuated, mm. all that things. Um, I remember one thing that really stuck in my mind was conducting a funeral for a 92-year-old man wow. who not long before he died had actually written down his personal memoirs of being a 17-year-old having to leave his family and going off to war and then you know the stories that unfolded from there and I just remember reading it with just tears just streaming down my face and just being so moved by this just one individual's uh, story so it's all those things but then from the other side there are people where somebody might say you know she she didn't really do much she was she was just mum and you know I always think that kind of just mum you know I'm a mum myself but you know that was the person who carried you and raised you and cooked and cleaned for you who grazed your knees and dried your tears um, and guided you to be the person that you are today so you know it doesn't matter how elaborate somebody's life has been or fairly simply lived there's always lots of positive and, and lovely things to say about people what a wonderful thing what's your most useful skill oh there's a question I think a celebrant needs many different skills and I guess an an obvious one is that ability to be able to write and to deliver ceremonies that are personalized creative and engaging Mm. but you can only do that if you truly engage with the families that you listen to what is being said but also sometimes you have to listen to what isn't being said of course um, you know, the body language and those, those hidden words that sometimes people just can't communicate to you mm. in words at time of bereavement. So mm-hmm. for me, I think possibly my most useful skill is communicating with people and really understanding them so that I can be their voice on the day right. and you know, being able to connect with people very quickly at, at a deep level. And that that is a privilege, really, of you know, being able to offer that understanding and care. And connecting with people at a time when connecting with them is not the easiest thing in the world for them. Absolutely. That's that's so true. You know, people are bereaved and they have 101 different things, you know, going on logistically and emotionally. Yes. And I, quite often I, I'm a stranger going into somebody's home. Mm-hmm. So that trust and connection is hugely important for me, but more so obviously for them. Of course. So, look, what makes a good funeral? Oh, what makes a good funeral? It is quite difficult sometimes for people to actually think about having a good funeral because Mm. a funeral is often a time that people dread. I hear it time and time again. I'm absolutely dreading next Wednesday at the funeral. Mm. So to be able to turn that around and make it a positive experience is something very special in itself. For me, I think a good funeral is giving the family exactly what they want you know what would be right for you tony wouldn't necessarily be right for me Mm -hmm. Um, and there are still people out there that do deliver these one size fits all funerals but every life is unique and therefore every funeral should be um, completely unique as well my my experience over what 15 years now as a celebrant has been you know some of the best funerals have been where there's been the most involvement from the family, um, you know, th- when they can stand up and give tributes or be involved, that that's really, really important. Oh, that's really interesting because 
I wondered whether sometimes um, families want, in a way, for the celebrant to do most of the hard work because it is such hard work to do on the day. But but what you've just described is a sense of participation as being important. Absolutely. Participation is hugely important, but it doesn't necessarily have to be participation on the day because I'm aware that people's emotions to stand up and deliver a tribute to a loved one even as a celebrant I've done this for family members of my own and you know being on the other side you suddenly realize how difficult that is but being present to participate in that meeting maybe Mm -hmm. being able to write their own memories either for myself or for somebody else to to read on their behalf Mm -hmm. it might be just participating in way of choosing music choosing readings all all of that involvement is is hugely important maybe Mm. even just you know family carrying the coffin is and in sorry to the chapel and and acting as pallbearers on the day that's a huge honor to carry somebody's coffin into a chapel Uh, so there's lots of ways that people can be involved can be hands-on either on the day or simply in the preparations of the funeral Hmm. Very interesting. So it sounds as if, you know, participation and what you say and what you do is maybe more important than some other aspects of the funeral. I guess so. I guess so. It just depends. I think what's important is the family have what they want Mm. and knowing that the unique needs and wants of every single family is, is different. Sure. What's not so important then when it comes to funerals? That's a difficult question to answer because what's not important to me might be hugely important to you. Hmm. So I think the way I can answer that is that if it is important to a bereaved family, then it becomes important to me. Right. I don't think I can answer and say that's not important because somebody else would actually say, well, actually, that that's hugely important to me. But perhaps I think, in a sense, what's not important is what other people think or expect. For the bereaved family, they should you know, try and put together a funeral, which is exactly what they want or what their loved one wanted um, and not be influenced just to sort of impress or that that's what we've been to before so that's what we should do a lot of people will follow tradition because that's what they know Um, but to to question and to say I I would like this or I would like that that's hugely important to know that you know you can have exactly what you want and ask the funeral director ask the funeral arranger ask the celebrant because so many things are possible but people might not actually think or feel comfortable about asking for certain things sure and as well as the emotional um nature of that that early grief when we're just having to organize the funeral what about the time aspect i mean how long does it take typically for you to um prepare for a funeral i always say that a funeral realistically is a day's work by the time, you, you know, for, as a celebrant that I've gone out and I've spent time with the family, mm. really listened to them and found out about their loved one. And then I've gone home and spent several hours writing that service and all the preparation that goes into it. And then obviously delivering the funeral 
on the day itself. People often think, oh, a funeral celebrant's work is easy. You know, you turn up for half an hour at a crematorium. It's not like that at all. All the time realistically goes into the preparation, the time spent with the family and the, the writing of the funeral. That is what is hugely important because I do know there are people out there that, you know, will just use set opening words, set closing words and just, you know, mm -hmm. pop a eulogy in the middle. For me, it's about writing a completely bespoke funeral that's written for that person from start to finish. Wow. Because you, you can't, you know, have the same opening words for somebody that's maybe 90 years old who's had a long happy life and passed away peacefully in their sleep to perhaps a 19 year old who may have died under very tragic circumstances and you're holding the emotions of that whole congregation in your hands um, so it's important that every part of the service is as personalized as it possibly can be hmm. very very useful to know um what was your most innovative funeral Gosh, there's so many. Um, I think it's hard to sort of pick out one in particular. But as I said, I think, you know, some of the most um, unique ones have been where family and friends have had lots of involvement either in the preparation mm -hmm. or conducting the ceremony myself. It, sometimes I will conduct the whole service from start to finish. Other times my role becomes much more um, of a, more of a master of ceremonies, just sort of linking everything and everyone together. Um, but certainly, I, I have to say that some of the loveliest funerals that I've conducted um, have been those that have actually taken place away from cemeteries or crematoriums. They've been held in different locations where, again, I think sometimes people are actually scared um, or, or don't know of the option that they could hold the ceremony somewhere else where they're not restricted on time and this sort of sadly that the conveyor belt system that goes on in a lot of crematoriums where you know it's half an hour that you've got and then you've mm. got to come out because the next family are coming in I I've conducted some lovely ceremonies in hotels in fields in marquees um, one I did not long ago actually for an elderly person was held in the residence lounge of a nursing home oh, because goodness. she didn't have any family um, and you know a lot of her friends within the nursing home were too old and frail to attend the crematorium so her coffin was taken to the nursing home and in the residence lounge where you know that those who knew her could could be present and be part of it um, so there's some really lovely things that we are we're able to do oh that's beautiful thanks for sharing that with us what was your most challenging funeral oh challenging challenging i think every funeral to an extent is challenging um and the reason i say that i've always said the day it becomes easy is the day i give up hmm. um however you know certain ceremonies are challenging for different reasons um you know from an emotional point of view Naturally, I've, I've got to say that babies and children's funerals truly pull on every part of your emotional energy. And, yes. you know, there's sometimes you, you, you wonder how you're actually going to get through the service without falling apart yourself. But you, know, you can generally sort of hold back your own tears until afterwards. So those are always emotionally challenging. Um, having to conduct funerals for people that you've perhaps known and, and loved yourselves or I've, I've done a lot of funerals for parents of my own friends and, and looking out into a congregation seeing people that I love with tear-stained faces yes. um, are challenging um, the cause of death um, can be challenging you know people that might have taken their own life or have been murdered or a victim of terrorism you know the 
the dynamics of people's emotions are going to be completely different then. You've got anger and bitterness and hatred and all those really, really negative emotions, which can obviously eat away at us and, and destroy us. And whilst they're perfectly natural emotions, um, you know, we owe it to ourselves not to let that the feelings and the, the evil involved in these become destructive um, to ourselves. Um, there are sometimes funerals for families where there's people within the family who are at war with one another um, and don't agree on anything. And you're trying to keep everybody happy. Um, and of course, again, there are sadly funerals for people who have done terrible things to others in their life who have killed people or, or been abusive. Um, as a celebrant, again, those are incredibly challenging funerals to conduct because you're trying to do it with honesty and yet trying to find positivity and respect in those as well. So getting the, um, the balance it can be very, very difficult. But in doing so, what becomes possible? In those scenarios? Yes. I think for me, it's about giving people some element of healing, mm. because quite often, you know, I'm, I'm using the latter as a scenario. Um, you know, a, a person might have done something terrible to somebody else, but that person might also still be deeply loved by their family. And who are we to judge the cause or the reason of why they went out and, and did those things? Um, it's very easy to judge and say, oh, what a terrible person they did this. But who knows what they've been through in their life and, and things like that. So it, it's about it, no matter what somebody's done, no matter how they've lived their life, what choices they've made. That I never like to use the word closure because I don't believe there's such thing. Mm. But a conclusion, I think, a conclusion of a life and the conclusion of people's emotions so that they can lay loved ones, people and their own emotions to rest. Thank you. So what would be one piece of advice that you have for anybody who's organising a funeral at the moment? I think, too, it's difficult because people, as we said it before, emotions are all over the place. And I think time is the one very difficult thing. Funerals are often arranged, you know, with, with a week to two weeks in between where, you take an example, a, a wedding, they're, they're being planned with, uh, you know 12 18 months yes. ahead and, and people look and, and choose you know the flowers the cars the catering the venue um with a funeral it's it's easy to gratefully accept suggestions that are made to you at the time but then later wish that you may have done things differently so i would just say to anybody don't feel rushed into making those decisions although time naturally is of the essence take a bit of time even if you think you know i'm just going to absorb this and, and think about it overnight um yeah a funeral is a ceremonial ritual it can be done in any place and by anyone um so think carefully about everything that you want about who you want to conduct the ceremony where you'd like the ceremony and all those de decisions just to think carefully about it and, and don't feel rushed even though time is of the essence that's very helpful. Thank you very much, Terry. And unfortunately, time is of the essence now, Terry. So I just want to say thank you very much for um, being on this podcast. It's been great to meet you and to find out about your life and work. And thank you very much for your insights into what makes for a good funeral and um, that useful advice about taking your time. I think that's uh, that would be tremendously helpful. So thank you very much. Anything else you'd like to say before we go? 
Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, like everything, I think, in the funeral profession, it's hard to generalise with anything uh, because, well, I've said several times, it's, it's unique. So if there isn't anybody who listens to this podcast who's got any further questions, so please feel free to contact me either by phone or by email. I'm more than happy at any stage to talk to somebody without any obligation, just on a one-to-one basis to help them make that right decision for them at such a very difficult time. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much, Terry. Well, take care and uh, hope to speak to you soon. And you, Tony. Lovely to talk to you. Take care.